Oh my god. It is July. July. Oh my god, July 2nd. Happy July. July. 2nd. Happy July. Oh my gosh. And you know, I'm reserving my hype on this one. As RuPaul, as RuPaul says, this is the beginning of the rest of July. <laughs> Yo, I still need to get on Drag Race. It's like, I hear it's like the greatest show <laughs> of it is. all time. It's very good. All right, I got to get on Drag Race for sure. All right, That's an aside. This isn't Drag Race. Well, I mean, is... in the way it is, right? Because what we're talking about today, folks, I mean, like, you yeah. know, the, the video game of the hour uh, for everyone uh, is Injustice 2. Mm-hmm. But we thought it might be a really interesting, uh, you know, sort of format. Uh, talking about Injustice 2 to sort of take a moment to talk about the larger sort of fighting game genre. Yeah. Um, it's a genre that I think both of us really grew up with. Um, and I have, like, a lot of incredible memories uh, of the fighting game genre. Uh, like, one of my earliest memories of being a video game player, period, was when my parents got me uh, a Super Nintendo, like, the home console. And of all the games that I got, like, Legend of, the Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past was great, of course. But I have a very specific memory of firing up Street Fighter II, um, which was, like, arcade perfect at the time. And my grandmother, who barely spoke any English looked at me uh, going through the character select screen and was like, pick her, and like lands me on Chun-Li. Mm. And she's like, I like her. She's mm-hmm. Jarbig. And Jarbig is this like Armenian word that means like feisty, like fiery, spirited. Nice. She was like, pick her. <laughs> I like her. She's Jarbig. Yeah. And so like, it just began this incredible love affair with Chun-Li because my like grandmother approved of like a video game character. That's such a cool memory. Oh, yeah. it was old. It was old Because she is feisty. You she know? is, man. She represents. Except in the latest game she's in where she looks real funky. I know, man. Did you see that weird... Was that Tekken Street Fighter? Not Tekken Oh, Street the Fighter. mashup. Cross. The mashup, yeah. Yeah, totally. She looked like the... The face, whoever modeled that face was uh, taking a day off. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Because it did not look great. But she is still feisty in our hearts. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And actually, speaking of tech end, you know, yeah. originally we were going to get together at your place in the Bronx to record this episode. We're, we're in uh, Harlem this time, though. But um, I remember I wanted to start the episode with an anecdote about how Tekken really got me fucking beat up hardcore. Because I was, I was at a pizza joint that's like three, four blocks away from your apartment and like down the hill from where we went to high school together. Um... And I was, like, killing some time uh, after school before a jazz concert that I was going to perform in. So I go down to my favorite pizza joint because there's, like, an arcade cab with Tekken oh, yeah. Tag, I think it was. And I loved Tekken back in the day. And I, like, was, like, kicking ass against the arcade. And then, like, this group of teenagers, like, my age came in. All, like, Bronx kids. Like, I was immediately, like, you know, looking over my shoulder, like, all right, just, like, be cool, whatever. And they were, like, let's play some Tekken. And I, unfortunately, <laughs> schooled them solid like yeah. destroyed them one after another until i got to the loud small kid uh-huh. of the group like uh-huh. the archetype and this like they're a bunch of street toughs right but like this one kid was like the loud mouth small one and i really should have just let him win because <laughs> i took him down he was like bitching and moaning and i took him down again he was threatening me i took him down again and then cool as a cucumber they all walked out of the pizza joint <laughs> and i was like oh great like I'm done. Yeah, I, I just like well, I won the virtual fight, yeah. and I like remember pushing the door outwards, like the door pushed out the glass door, and as I pushed the door out, arms like gr- like hands grabbed my arm and like yanked me out, and it was like the whole group, and they just like jumped me and beat the shit out of me, and I was just you like, can't, ah, you can't it's win just the Bronx. A game. Yeah, it's, all right, it's the Bronx. Yeah, whatever, man. Yeah. And and that actually it was like one of those moments where it was like the most like cross like new. It was like the most New York moment. And the most, like, fighting game moment all mixed up to one. So, I actually wear that one proudly. That's, like, it's a... Absolutely. Those are, like, battle scars and real-life scars. And real-life scars. virtual scars. Yeah. There's so much, like, machismo and, like, 
testosterone mixed into fighting yeah, games. Yeah, man, like. there's a lot of emotion to fighting games. Yeah. I mean, the fighting genre is such an interesting genre of games. I mean, yeah. do you have any memories of, of the uh, Oh, the sure. Genre? I mean, I, I like I don't know. I didn't do too much of the arcade experience because I would just, like, always get beat immediately. Aww. But, I mean, I play a lot at home. Like, yeah. we, like, did a lot of... Uh, me and my brother would just, like, play Street Fighter nonstop. Like, I think the main game we played was, like, the EX Plus Alpha. They're, like, kind of... Slight, maybe like misguided attempted to uh, ape Tekken have like a 3D yeah. character based Street Fighter but, but you liked it I fucking loved that yeah, game yeah it was actually like, a fun was, game it was so fun and uh, it had like a Skullamania which is like my dude oh right yeah. I was I like forgot about him completely because I only I didn't play very much of the EX series but I yeah. enjoyed it like yeah. I was more of a main yeah and Alpha yeah. I love the Alpha yeah series. Alphas are great yeah, yeah. Um, but the uh, Skullamania dude was just like for some reason, his movesets completely gelled with what I wanted to do in a fighting game. So it's fun when you get, meet a character that will just represent you in a Street Fighter. It's, it's just like, it's it's a extension of your, of your identity in that way. Like, yeah. you're just like, we're jiving. You want to do a thing, fighter, a fictional person. I want to do a thing through your <laughs> tool set, and it's working. Like, I mean, for me now, for a Street Fighter 4, I was all about Ibuki. Like, like, it was just like a... You know, you just meet a fighter where, like, you don't have to think about what moves you're going to do because you you kind of habitually get into them. Like, yeah. Because I played a bunch at um, at my one of my old jobs, and we would all like every after work we'd just crowd around the PS4 and just play some. That's awesome. Um, Street Fighter Four, like every day for a couple of years, and it was like it was excellent. You know, it was really good, and I got to that point where I was just like really feeling. I don't know. It just like you get into the rhythms that you need to play constantly for a lot of time to get into like yeah. where the where the the fighters become an extension of yourself and there's very few other kinds of gameplay that allow that that kind of um identification with the character absolutely. i think absolutely well said expressiveness yeah. and expressiveness like each character gives you this sort of limited but deep palette of moves or mechanics that you can use to differentiate yourself mechanically from the other characters mm-hmm. in the game but those are just like the base of the pyramid of the experience, like it is, yeah. you know, the the moves that you get fresh out the box are just uh, the sort of building blocks of language that you form. These sentences of combos and these longer sort of expressive chains of how you tend to fight over the course of a round or even over the course of the tournament. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, when preparing for this episode, of course, I was thinking a lot about Injustice Two. Uh, we were also both playing a lot of Arms, which I think we'll sort of talk about throughout the course of this episode. Uh, this is the the new Nintendo Switch game Arms, um, but also just got me thinking about uh, the fighting game genre in general. And I'm I'm going to be you know I'm potentially risk being a little bit you know hyperbolic here, but I, I have to say, in pre- preparing for this episode, I think that you know fighting games are maybe the most important genre of video games in the history of video games for a few reasons. Um, one of which being their legibility. Mm. Like, there's something really immediately legible uh, or understandable about seeing two uh, virtual fighters, not the property, but the <laughs> mechanics, but, like, two fighters, like, stepping into a space and then, like, duking it out physically. I think, like, our entire human evolution uh, of behavior has, like, made fighting, like, visual fighting mechanics something that's immediately legible, no matter where or who you are, like... A haymaker is a haymaker is a haymaker. If you see someone punch someone else in the side of the head hard without the other person preparing, it doesn't matter if you understand boxing, street fighting, virtual fighting, anything. You're just like, oh, it provokes this visceral reaction, which can only come from legibility. 
versus watching someone play League of Legends, for example, and being like, this is inscrutable. I have no idea what the fuck I'm watching. There are many more layers of interpretation that you have to be able to understand to like figure out what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So like one of the most legible genres of uh, games, one of the most communal genres of games, I think that fighting games bring a lot of people together, uh, both in uh, real spaces, like couches and tournaments, real-world tournaments, but also virtual spaces, like... Um, just the same way that you're talking about Ibuki uh, and referring to certain types of fighters like grapplers or power... Like, there's a language uh, that we can speak over great distances or even time that connects all of these threads and makes it an incredible communal experience. And there's the social aspect of the arcade, which we, you mentioned in your anecdote, and that can get... <laughs> Very intense, but oh, also yeah. is like such an important part of what fighters are, yeah. where it's so much of the boasting and the pride and confidence and fear and like the adrenaline of competition yep. and of the, I mean, the sport of fighting is essentially where you are on a field of sport and you are there to, to defend your honor and your pride against yes. all comers. Like, you know, the person who puts a quarter down they, and they're, tr- they're coming at you to try and take your, your, your crown. It's, 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 a, it's a story as old as time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think also the points that you're specifically making lead directly into the third reason why I think fighting games might be the most important genre of all time, uh-huh. which is that they're probably the most human. Mm-hmm. And human by human, I mean they are the most actually emotional. And by emotional and psychological, like I, I really think that the, the fighting game genre uh, allows for the most... Uh, human psychology and emotion to come into play. And I'm not just talking about the basics of like fear and curiosity and anger uh, and and the sort of sense of glee or whatever or euphoria that you experience when you're winning. There's also deeper emotions. You touched on a few of them when you're fighting for your pride or your honor. There's disgrace. There's desperation. There's dominance. And what I find so really interesting about the fighting genre is disgrace you know, desperation, dominance, pride, these are not simple emotions. These are emotions that, much like the human experience, are combinations of how you feel on the inside, right? And the social constructs around you, the, 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 the status or the power that you might have in a match can swing wildly. You know, we were playing a few rounds of both Injustice and Arms before we started recording, and there were like 18,000 moments of our status in the match swinging from you being powerful to me being powerful. You're yelling, come back, and I'm yelling all sorts of mental games because I like to break <laughs> you down with words. And you're like, shut up, dude, you talk too much. But these are much more complicated uh, psychological and emotional uh, currencies and communications than I think we get with a lot of other genres of video games. And a lot of other kinds of social interactions, which is really interesting. Like I was thinking about when you were talking about that um, at my job when we were playing Street Fighter, we everybody had their own approach to the game, mm. which is really interesting to like come and it only you know you can only observe it because you were hanging out with each other for you know several months and years playing this game. So like there was like my one friend RJ who would like just um, he was amazing. He was so chill. Oh no, and, um, those guys are dangerous. But he was like losing for like three quarters of our time playing Street Fighter. Like basically like we were like crushing him constantly. But he was chill. But he was so chill about it. And then he fucking comes back. The last, like, basically, the last memory I have of playing Street Fighter is just getting dominated by him. Wow. With, like, uh, I think it was, um, what was it, Momoko? Like, Ibuki's, like, kind of similar to Ibuki, but, like, more, like, grappling and... Um, oh, yeah, the, like, Crypt dude? No. No, it was a girl, but... 
Oh, Mo- oh yeah, Mika. 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 Yeah. No, no, that's a new one. That's or Mika. Mika. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's okay. I, my memory is all shot. It's but, all good. There's a lot of Street Fighters. There's a lot of Street Fighters. <laughs> but he came up with this character and was just like completely dominating. And it was amazing to see because uh, for the longest time we were like... Because I think his approach to the game was I'm going to master the mechanics and not cheese and not do whatever is necessary to win hmm. so to but to do that requires like such an enormous well of patience oh yes and so you kind of like get that out of a person you're like oh this person's like super patient and like isn't like the the, the competition the adrenaline of the game isn't getting to them mentally like they're just treating it very from a distance that i could never do because like you know i'll like affect that like approach or I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna like learn the moves and then <laughs> I start losing and I'm like fuck I need to like sweep the leg and just like you know do some like short punches and yeah. just do whatever it takes to win because I don't like losing yeah. but like he was able to take losing for like the majority of the time we're playing Street Fighter and he comes back and now he's like unbeatable Yeah, and it's like this is a personality that comes out of playing the game it's amazing like, you could have a personality that comes out of the game I couldn't have like witnessed it like just from conversation yeah so and you keep insisting that you're a terrible loser. I've never I'm a seen loser. it. I've never seen it myself because I don't think we play enough fighting games together, for example. And maybe you're just better at fighting I keep it, games. I keep, it, I keep it inside. Oh, Eventually, so you're just like, like yeah. degrading I've yourself? I've literally walked away from a game of Settlers of Catan. You've where, walked away from Settlers? Like, I'm like, I don't want to play this anymore. Ooh. And I've never played it again. Ever. Ever. We're going to have to reopen that door for you. I got so angry at my friend for like doing the road, no, the road, the road victory. Yeah, fuck where I was like, nope. I don't want to play this anymore. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> but I think unlike a game like Settlers of Catan or unlike losing a game of Madden or unlike playing a lot of the other games like League of Legends or whatever, yeah. what I think is so incredible, again, about the fighting game genre is it tends to be that an entire narrative, an entire arc, an entire relationship or personality is formed and undone in about 90 seconds. Yeah. Like, you literally have this incredible micro-narrative that pops up. I mean, every time you watch an evil fight, every time you see da- Daigo's, like, incredible counter, you know, block moment, mm-hmm. that's a 15-second clip, right? Yeah. That's like a that's like a 30-second match that literally has told an incredible arcing story yeah. that goes from, like, gutter to, like... Grace, or from like complete yeah. dominance to disgrace. Like, there's so I mean, many they're, stories. Yeah, they're, they're so like um, capable of of reproducing that kind of kung fu narrative of I'm on my last leg. This look superior looking character has like knocked me down a bunch of times. May have lost a round or two, and then you know I'm a, I have no health left. Yes, and then I'm gonna just like break out this kind of rat in the corner mentality of just like survival and win the match and like this is like 90% of Kung Fu movies yeah. but like they, yeah. fighting games they're able to like it's so much more powerful because it's, there's no the, the conclusion is not like assumed or forgotten like oh. you know exactly you don't know what exactly what's going to happen yeah. they might not they might not be able to pull it off some of them sometimes they don't pull it off absolutely so it's like that element of like reliving a familiar story but with but in an emergent way is why like yeah fighting games kind of have this like edge over you know your class you know remaking yet another version of a kung fu narrative yes exactly and i love the fact that like you know fighting games as a genre as well are this incredibly perfect balance of the mechanics because we're talking a lot about mechanics right now uh and franchise or and and story essentially Mm -hmm. because like really now you know the fighting games that we play very infrequently it does happen that a new genre emerges like arms for example where there's very minimum lore but even an example like arms each of the characters has a micro narrative of their own like how people regard twin tell versus how they 
uh, regard, like, you know, the ninja guy or the mummy dude. There's, like, micro-stories in there already, but then there's a whole other layer of storytelling that emerges when that controller is in a player's hand, and that player is breathing a personality into that framework. Absolutely. My twin tell is different than your twin tell. Oh, absolutely. So, like, that... You don't use that time-slowing mechanic, for example. I don't even know how to do it. Um, so there you go. Like, you have, like, the, there are different characters in different people's people's hands. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Like, the character... The, that's why so many fighting games don't really, re- like, require a lore or a elaborate story mode. Because there's so much story coming from the player. But, and wait Justice a minute. Two, Are you segueing? Did you just that was a perfect segue. I mean, it's, I and you like ruined segue. it by calling no, no, it a no, segue. I'm, I'm accentuating. <laughs> Guys, that was the best segue of all time. Yousef just segued so hard. I fucking ruined it. I'm sorry. Shit. That's okay. I appreciate being appreciated. I'm sorry, man. Uh, that was a segue. Seg, seg, seg. Speaking of segues. Here's a segue. Here's a segue. Did you tell him, man? Yeah, so like Justice 2 is a game that... In the in the spirit of like other realms, other games like yes. Justice One, Mortal Kombat, uh, whatever the ten, eleven, twelve, whatever the new oh, Mortal yeah, Kombat's X, are, yeah, um, team, whatever, they all like have these cool elaborate story modes where basically you don't get to choose your character. You're basically participating in the story they're telling. Yeah. They give you a character or a choice of two characters, and you have to play with those characters, and then you kind of like interspersing the story mode with like these elaborate cutscenes that are able to tell like a wider story than basically I want to beat the bad guy and I beat the bad guy I win <laughs> which is like Street Fighter's like yeah. default status quo up till now basically. Ryu doesn't even hang out for the like end of his story he's like off for the next challenger if I remember correctly yeah, exactly. Street Fighter 2 yeah. ending he's like and he forgoes the ceremony he's to like, go punch him. Where do you go? Yeah. He's like, I'm out. Looking for the next challenge. Yeah, they don't even have time to stick around for their own story. That's how liminal the story <laughs> mode of Street <laughs> yeah. Fighter is. But that's a really cool thing about the Injustice and NetherRealm as a developer because they kind of basically patented this kind of new way of having fighting game story modes, which I really dig. Yeah, so essentially they um, NetherRealm has the single player aspect of it which I think is really an interesting way to like approach fighting games and yeah. you had mentioned um, has in, it's an interesting like um, kind of corner of the market that they're grasping in creating this more entertaining way to play the game by yourself yeah yeah, and not engage in that social arcade function of fighting games which is also very it's probably the biggest part of them I think so too like the yeah. industry I mean at least from what I'm learning about this because I think you know researching for injustice obviously led me to a lot of thinking and absorbing a lot of thought about fighting games in general and the story of fighting games right now it's tournaments and it's esports right it's like the entire industry is pushing itself towards this incredibly lucrative but potentially lucrative marketplace of essentially standing up virtual sports right Um, And again, everything that I said about legibility makes, I think, fighting games a way more palatable idea for a mass market esport than League of Legends is, which requires so much more understanding of the game systems. But in that market reality, we now have essentially dominance. And the dominance is Street Fighter. Street Fighter owns EVO, right? Like it not owns from a stakeholder perspective, but from a player uh, percentage perspective. Mm -hmm. Like it's like something like 75% of EVO tournaments paid tournaments are Street Fighter tournaments. And that leaves very little room for much else. There's actually Smash Brothers, which is, like, backed into it. Like, it's the fans that have had to be like, yo, Nintendo, we're fucking doing this. We don't care if you don't let us stream it. We love your game. We love playing it um, Mm. in a competitive standpoint. But I think 
you know, NetherRealm games just are not very well represented in those professional circuits. Not, neither Mortal Kombat 10, Injustice, um, and we can talk about the implications of like easy or simple mechanics versus tournament mechanics. But I think, like you're saying, it leads to this very interesting, potentially business choice that they're making as a studio, being like, okay, we're not yet in the tournament scene. Like our properties aren't there yet. But what do we have? We have the DC universe. So what can we do with that? We can make a game whose not only the sort of mechanics of the franchise, of the IP, are so well represented. Like, we have such cool characters that are represented, but the game mode itself is really overdeveloped. The single-player game mode is super overdeveloped. I, was, I think while we were playing it, I was like, dude, it's the uncharted of fighting games. Like, that <laughs> seamless, like, cinematic into fighting, into yeah. cinematic into fighting, just, it was like a movie. Absolutely. And it was honestly the best DC... I haven't seen Wonder Woman yet, but it was like the best DC movie other than what I hear Wonder Woman. Sure. was really yeah. good. And that's amazing <laughs> yeah. for a fighting game to be a best story, you know? And the transitions are so seamless. I love yeah. the way they have the... You know, like a character is like... Maybe does a little fighting in the cutscene, and then they're like, oh, you got me. And they kind of like shuffle into their fighting position where they're like kind of put their dukes up and like, yeah. you know... Settle their shoulders back. And the camera and sets like, into the 2D. Yeah, the 2D camera, like, kind of pulls back. I love that transition. So, yeah. like, I mean, that's, like, the essence of that mode, where yeah. it's, like, the ca- you know, kind of, where it cuts... I mean, it's better than, like, a lot of Uncharted stuff, where it's basically so you have a cutscene where, mm-hmm. no, like, nothing related to the game at all is happening. And then you're, like, okay, control now. Um, or, like, a fade out, fade in. Yeah. And this is just, like, no, there's no fade. You are start, start fighting now. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, your characters, like, put, you know you're fighting because of the way that the scene is framed and the context. And that's enough to, like, get you ready to pick, pick up the controller and you're like, okay, I'm trying to fight. And, and I that's think, so interesting. I think building exactly on that point, I think another thing that really makes the game so special from a narrative standpoint within the fighting genre is that you can trigger cutscenes in the middle of a fight. Like, the mm. biggest thing for me, the, one of the coolest moments was when you charge up your super meter completely and you land that super duper move, one per character, it literally can take you out of the arena that mm-hmm. you're fighting in. Which, you know, from a filmic perspective, from a narrative, from a visual narrative perspective, it's such a powerful moment. Because no matter what stage you were fighting on, the fact that a f- the fighting game has put its own mechanical, like, uh, mechanical needs behind the need to tell a character's story is just really interesting. Because mm. especially in the cutscenes that actually take you out of the doom and gloom and into, like, a blue sky, like, when, like... Supergirl or Superman like bats you into like the stratosphere yeah. and it's bright and crisp and you actually hear like the level music fall away and you hear the ruffle of fabric cape on wind and like clouds everywhere that's beautiful and it's heavily contrasting the dark tones of the arena you're in and for a moment it lets you say look I am this character I am, this is who I am this mm-hmm. is me Superman I've taken the camera away from a neutral position. I own it for these five seconds. You will pay attention to who I am, not even how I fight, just who I am. It's told through That's violence, yeah. but it's it's personal. It's narrative. Yeah. It is character development forced into the fighting game. Yeah. Context. Yeah. Of course, once you do it 20 times, it loses its relevance. Except for flashes. Flashes, flashes will be good no matter I what. I love the flashes. <laughs> We're like... Knocks you into a T-Rex. Like, what yeah. is a T-Rex doing? Like, exactly. Knock the nose off the Sphinx. Like, yeah. That's just funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But again, it's like kind of, I think, a reason why, again, taking a minor step back and talking about fighting games in general, I think it's a 
you know, one of the many reasons why that's not a game that's preferred by tournament players. It's not a sure. neutral value game. It isn't easier, and I'm you know finger quoting right now in the air. It's an easier game to pick up and play. Like you can sort of button mash through the game, and it's flashy and it's you know it's precise, but it's also not a tournament fighter. You know, no. And I think the professional you know circuits for every reason that they can explore beyond my noob ability to like describe what makes a tournament game and what doesn't. It just doesn't seem to have that like technical precision that is required or depth that is required of tournament games. Hmm. Yeah, that is like because you sent me that video by yeah. What, what is the channel called? I can't remember. We should like fighting put it in game the, yeah, channel. We should put it in the. Wiggly we'll wiggly. put it in the notes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a I'm YouTube looking channel it up right talking now. about fighting games. Yeah. But they're, you know, they kind of compared core, it. It's Core A Gaming. Core A Gaming. Shout out Core A Gaming. <laughs> and they released a video that was somewhat controversial that was talking about um, how games like Injustice and the new Street Fighter, for example, yes. um, kind of reduce the skill ceiling on the game. And as, and as a result of that, it becomes a less of a competitive game to play because you can't... You made this because the skill ceiling, the skill ceiling is so low, you can't break... Out as a player who put a ton of work and hours into exactly. the game, so it really is like a balance between players who want a a basically a sport, a professional sport, and players who want something to spend a couple hours on a Sunday. Yeah, like just Little having fun versus, or beer league. Even it's beer league. It is beer league. Absolutely. League. I mean, and I think it's such an interesting. It's like something that's very unique to fighting games, in particular, because like. They do share that. They share that um, that same ground with professionals and amateurs. That even like uh, League of Legends or a Dota, um, I think are a lot. The I don't know. They it seems a little more muddy, and like they're just like they're much harder always. Like they're right. they're just like the skill ceiling is just like high because those games are very intricate. It's like higher barrier of entry and higher skill ceiling. Exactly. Like just like the entire debate yeah. ratchet it up. To exactly. Right. But because fighting games, a lot of fighting games, even Street Fighter, you can kind of button mash through and have fun, you know. And um, there's, I feel like there's this perennial, like, complaint by professional fight, fighter, fighting game players who want a game that, where the skill ceiling is reflective of their time put into yeah. it. But it's so difficult to think about that because you're talking about a game that has a ton of money and investment put into it that needs to recoup that investment that mm-hmm. is does, that is aimed at a more general audience because they're not going to make money off of tournaments. Like, That's true. They need to... They need the they're selling a, a mainstream product. So I think that the conflict there is like how do you make a game that can satisfy both? And I'm not sure... I mean... Do you have to make a game that's satisfied both? Why would that's we, a good question? Like, didn't didn't um, Capcom kind of ask us this question the very first time they ever released the tournament edition for Street Fighter Two? Mm-hmm. You remember when that sure. came out, right? It was like Street Fighter Two, and you're like, and I we were young, so I didn't really ask the critical questions of like, well, what's different? Because all I needed to know was that there were more characters, right? Mm-hmm. That the franchise got me into it, not the mechanics at that age, because I just wasn't cognizant of the depth of these systems. I enjoyed fighting, I enjoyed being shoved me for my grandmother, but I wasn't like you know ever thinking that there would be such a thing as a real world fighting tournament. But then Tournament Edition comes out, and there in the title, it's suggesting, if it's not just semantics, that some mechanical changes have occurred on this copy of this version of the game you love to make it tournament ready. And why wouldn't we do that? 
you know, why wouldn't we have a tournament patch for Street Fighter V? You release the tournament game and then you have the like mass market vanilla patch, you know, and it comes out like a few days or a few weeks afterwards. And like, you know, obviously I don't make fighting games. I've, of, of all the types of games that I have produced or designed, fighting games are not one of them. And I know that they are insanely intricately balanced and that the balancing of especially tournament worthy games like Street Fighter 4 and 5 they are continuously balanced and patched long after they are released like years into their release um, but I just wonder like do we need there to be one game for everyone or is this genre you know rich enough and deep enough that we can sort of just say okay you know there's a franchise version of it you just like playing as Ryu and doing the quarter stick turn Hadouken move because you remember that since you were a kid and then there's like the deep Daigo tournament player version of the game yeah I think it's a really vital question that fighting games still need to answer yeah because it's so up in the end there's the thing is that I keep struggling with is that professional play is Analogous to sport play. Yes, it is. But sport games don't require a virtual world built to support that sport. It's literally like soccer. Hit it into the goal. Like, yeah. you know, you don't... You, obviously, you have the infra- infrastructure of the stadium, the uh, uh, advertising, marketing fans that goes in, into it, the investment part of it. But the game itself is free. It's, I mean, like, especially soccer. Some things are have a higher barrier, like skiing or tennis or all that stuff, where you kind of have to buy the equipment. But most games, like the the mechanics of them, don't require a lot of investment from the player or whoever the whoever oh, is engaging with it in the real world. In the real world, sorry, I missed that. Part. I'm thinking about it in terms of like um, player engagement and investment and yeah. like um, the the background of it. Yeah. That that the stuff that's needed to get the game to a player. So like a Street Fighter needs so much money involved and so much like participation from a much larger crowd than the professionals who will be, like, playing at an Evo. Right. So it's, I think it's unfair for them to want the game to cater specifically to them, even though they do um, skyrocket it into a larger bracket of attention. Yeah. But they're not the ones who are, like, supporting its development. They're not the ones who necessarily, like, is even made for. Like, it's, like fighting games are bigger than com- competition. You know, I wonder. I, I actually, I don't disagree at all with the points you're right. making. And then I just wonder what the math is these days. Because I, I would need to check in on this too. Like, is publishing a video game for mass consumption is the sale is the commercial sale of Street Fighter Five currently or soon to be dwarfed by the amount of money Capcom makes off of licensing the game to tournaments, who are making you know tons of money in admissions and rebroadcasts and. You know, because these are like half a million dollar like prizes, you know, that they're giving out yeah. to the winner of these tournaments. Which, if you look at basic economics, that means they have to be pulling in at least twenty to fifty times that half a million dollar gate prize if it's going to be worth a corporate level of profit, right? They say in business, if you go yeah. into business, you always have to be making twenty percent profit. You know, as a as a as a rule of thumb, you know, twenty percent profit on your goods or services, and you're in a you're in a good shape. You can you can survive as a business. Yeah. I mean, I do think the economics of it. It is. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds. No, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're like, not even talking about games anymore. Yeah, because we're yeah, about... we're talking about like business decisions, right. and also, it's also like, what are the games for? Who are they for? Mm-hmm. Like, are they for people who are going to like make a job out of it, essentially, and versus people who just want uh, a a hobby or something they can enjoy without that like 
um, high barrier of entry. Totally. So that's like that, that's what fighting games have always had to had to ride that line of like professional versus amateur. Sure. And that video that we talked about is like very much like um, I think critical of the amateur side of the line, where it's saying that ama- the amateur requirements, the hobbyist, the weekender requirements of this game are hobbling the professional part of the game. Yep. Um, but I can't see how they can coexist otherwise. Like, and I think that's what makes Injustice 2 special as a fighting game is that it kind of... I think it acknowledges that the battle is lost <laughs> in the beginning. Yes. Where it's like, we're not going to try and make this like super competitive fighter. We're going to mm. make this game that's fun for everybody to play and is hard when you play it online, but maybe not professional level. But it's still like... I think the mechanics are thought out and yeah. they're not like bare bones, no requirement of skill. Like you can get really good at that game. Yeah, nor are the mechanics broken or unbalanced. It's no. a good yeah. game. It's yeah. a good fighting game. Yeah. But I think it is a game that is more aimed toward the um, amateur and hobbyist. Uh, the mass like, market. Yeah, the mass market, the yeah. more, like, consumer base, which yeah. I think is fine. I, I think it's fine too. I'm into it. Yeah. It's totally cool. And yeah. I think it's like, I mean, are there any standout moments for you in the game? Like, have you played all the modes? Like, we talked about story mode. How about, like, multiverse mode? Was that any interest? A little bit of that. Um, that's pretty fun. I... Loot boxes on everything now, man. Loot boxes on really? life. That's true. There's all, it is all the loot box. Yes. Yeah, but, but I didn't care enough about the armor. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like the, the UI for building it was, like, very awkward. It um, certainly like, get was. Go to the main menu, go to your character menu, put the armor on, and, you know, it just... It's not something I necessarily need in my fighting game. Yeah. So I wasn't a super big fan of it. So, but I mean, I think like for me, it was all about the story mode, and yeah. it always is with the Nether Realm games. Like even though I've played Mortal Kombat. Yeah. That was when I first like saw that new story mode style, and I was I was kind of in love from like from the minute oh, I nice. started playing it because I was just like, this is so cool. This like, is my first dip actually into this. Oh style. yeah, yeah. I was really impressed. It's great. It's yeah. so fun because there's I don't know like. Fighting games don't have a hook to go forward besides literally just the mechanics. The cold, the hard, cold hard mechanics. mechanics. Yeah. And they're just like, we're going to give you a hook. We're going to be like, this character, slide to your honor for this character. So they're going to like defend it. Yeah. Like it's kind of like replicating the social, um, out, the social experiment, the social like context of a arcade yeah. in the plot of a fighting game. Totally. Plus it's like superheroes you know and love. That too. So it's like total power fantasy. And I think if they mechanically pointed these mechanics sorry mechanically mechanics uh, <laughs> at the mass market at the pick up and play then this is just a, another stunning example of like video games as power fantasy you know it's just like oh yeah you are Superman you are Bat- Batman I'm Batman <laughs> Batman's good yes. the red juice no I'm super Batman yeah exactly yeah. opposite of red juice red opposite, juice sorry green juice <laughs> all sorts of juices bat juice um, yeah but absolutely like it it, the DC works really well with the with the um, pre-built structure that they already made for Mortal Kombat. Yeah. It's like these are just superheroes that are punching each other a lot, and it makes sense that they would do that. Like they do it in the cutscenes, they do it in the comics, they do it in the movies. Yeah, it's like and a perfect I mean, synthesis yeah. of these characters, like a perfect genre expression yeah. of these characters. The only time there's dissonance is when they like stab each other, and you're like, well, that oh, would yeah. do a lot of damage, especially if you're not a superhero and you're just a normal person wearing a suit. Yeah. <laughs> like, All those was, really brutal yeah. supers, like the dead shot or whatever. Yeah, or you just shoot them and stab them. Jesus. You're just like, okay. I mean, that's like a little bit of the, of the I think, the Mortal Kombat yeah. bleeding in, because like Mortal Kombat has, instead of, in uh, Injustice 2 and Injustice, 
the supers are basically kind of like a iconic version of the superheroes um powers so superman like knocks them into the sky batman has like his bat wing that shoots them and other th- you know characters, and many yeah. other things <laughs> yeah like well, flash like knocks them into the past time, so fast yeah. So yeah, they kind of they're reflective of their powers. In Mortal Kombat, it's literally just like they punch you in the sternum and it does an X-ray view of the oh, sternum yeah, breaking. I've seen those videos. It's they're brutal. so grotesque. That's so um, brutal. And you, so it's all about like the grotesquery of the it's like body horror. It is body horror, yeah. absolutely. Where you just like ooh, trigger like, warnings for anyone who's ever slipped a disc or had a hernia or something. You know? Yeah, or any skeletal fracture because it's just like zooming into the skeleton and, and showing how it breaks it's a little bit like um, Sniper Elite which oh god right uh, does the, the slow cam. motion of the bullet cam like blasting through cartilage and body and it's just like it's very much body horror like meant to gross you out um, and that's kind of the fun of it a little bit yeah, the sure. first few times you're, like, you're just like oh no like when you do the super it's supposed, it's supposed to look extremely painful yeah. and damaging to the body and it does I've seen some of those videos on YouTube man. yeah it, looks it is um but so, like, if you think, yeah. you know, just to sort of open up the conversation just a little bit, if we, a couple steps ago, talked about how, you know, the Street Fighters or the, the sort of Evo-level games are, like, the major leagues right now, and if a game like Injustice 2 is kind of like the beer league or, like, the hmm. little league, like, where does ARMS fit in for you? Because mm. we've both been playing ARMS as well, and, you know, that's the new sort of, it's the newcomer in the world, in the franchise fighting game world. Yeah. Uh, first party Nintendo game, uh, boxing game, boxing style game where you have these crazy like uh, expandable arms, some on ribbons, some on chains, but basically like arms on like bungee cords that you punch yeah. out across half the length of the entire arena. What are your thoughts? Where does that fit in into sort of like the technical pantheon? Sure. Uh, I think that it's interesting because we were talking about Smash at Evo, which is you know, a Nintendo fighting game that was aimed at a very much aimed at the consumer and hobbyist amateur level of fighting like never designed to be a um, more high level professional for money fighting game yeah and so that was kind of forced into that position and I think Nintendo are going to continuously do that for their fighting games like ARMS is definitely an example of them wanting to maintain that family friendly fighting game that is not really for high level competition yeah so I think ARMS continues that lineage, though I do think it does have the capacity to be a professional game, especially because like there's so much um, variation in how you can play it because your characters can change their arms, which are like each arm has a different power and skill. Um, so you can kind of, I think the strategy around that becomes very complicated and complex. Yeah. So you can, there's one, it's one thing between just dodging punches and another thing between jo- dodging like, a dragon that can shoot fi- fire or like a bird that flies around or like a, a frisbee that flies at you so like you're the timing and the way you move your character around is completely dependent on what the enemy chooses yes so I think that makes it a lot more complex than your average then if it was like the boxing Wii Sports oh god yeah Wii you know, Sports boxing was just, or it's just like, terribly simple yeah it's very very simple and arms are a lot more complicated yeah so that's really interesting to me and I think that it has potential to grow as a professional game but I but I think it does what Nintendo does best, which is making a game that's easy to learn, difficult to master, yes, and like has the capacity to be fun when you're just starting out, and also has the capacity to like be really challenging and interesting, yep. like when you actually are fighting on a level where you've played it for a bunch of hours and are, you like know the mechanics very well, 
and then it's a lot of it is about a mixture of reflexes and strategy, which every stri- fighting game is. It is yeah. real time, quick ass strategy and reaction. Yeah. It's I kind think, of a simplification of. Yeah. of um, I mean, I don't know if it's a simplification, but it it it, it um, en- encapsulates those me- those like thematic mechanics that fighting games all use. Yeah. So like those broader mechanics of of the strategy and timing and the tech, the parry, the counter, yeah, the rush, they're all there. Yeah, the throw, the throw. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I had the same impression because I, I played Arms during a couple of the global test punch test like plays mm. when like before the game had released, um, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to buy this game, like it's just like not for me. And then I, I was like waiting and waiting, and then. I saw the reviews start coming out, and I was like, "Oh wait, this like actually seems like it'll be really fun." Oh, maybe I wasn't being patient enough. Oh, maybe I was waggling too much. Oh, maybe I was doing what I do with every fighting game when I first start, which is the jump in. And like you know, when you start playing any new fighting game, the most amateur—and I'm pointing at myself right now—the most <laughs> amateur player will just be like, "It's a fighting game. We'll just jump in on my opponent and start smacking," which yeah. I do in every game ever. Yeah. And like, this is not that game. This is a game that absolutely rewards patience. Uh, it really the winner of the match is the one that reacts to their opponent until a moment to proact presents itself. Mm. The loser of every match is the one that just goes in swinging. Mm-hmm. So you know when I slowed down, when I realized just as you said so perfectly that all of the major schools of mechanics of every fighting game are present in this game, it just forced me to be like, okay, take this seriously. Yes, it's Nintendo. Yes, the bottom is rounded for this. Like, the barrier of entry is very low, and it's very easy to win a few matches and feel like I know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. It's time to learn. It's time to slow down. And then the real beauty of the game emerged, and I was like, I'm someone who hates playing competitive online anything because I'm not good at video games compared to, like, you know, people who play these online games, like I enjoy them. I love video games, but I'm just like not a winner. Mm-hmm. Um, but Arms just let me go in there and have a really good time learning, uh, and a really good time not being an aggro competitor, and just a really good time losing a bunch until I started winning a bunch, and mm-hmm. then just like it just again that softer, the softer, rounder bottom of the of the difficulty curve made it instantly easy to be like, no, I can understand this. Stop trying to jump away from grabs punch them away stop trying to like you know parry or whatever like it really like the mechanics became legible um they were slower than a twitch based fighter which is good yeah um but deep enough where i can honestly you know as long as there's free updates of new content coming out uh and as long as there's like online play it's a really fun almost rocket league style play it for 20 Mm. minutes oh where did my three hours go yeah absolutely yeah we've been having a fun a lot of fun playing it like before bed a little bit just like be like alright let's go through the uh, main story at nice. the higher skill level yes. you know because uh, as you bump up the skill level it's it hard man. way harder it's fucking you know? hard <laughs> we're at 5 right now it's not bad you know but we can't do 5 with every character this thing. So, uh, it's like for me it's like I gotta do twin tell yeah because she, like her skills for me like kind of gel it's like the Buki thing where it's like you know like some characters you feel like you're forcing yeah. your um, your skill set as a person into the mechanics of the, of the fighter and then some characters it just feels easy it's like a perfect connection you know yeah. like what is it the evangelion full connection yes full connection that's fucking <laughs> awesome full connection. amazing my eva is online baby yeah exactly <laughs> and twin cell is a really strong character i'm still yeah. kind of in the beginner mode with um ribbon girl but uh, she, her double jump is really cool quad jump yeah, it's a quad, quad jump. jump quad jump she's it's like amazing flying around yeah and that's really good you use that a lot 
It's there's a fun thing with fighting games where a lot of times, and it's true with other games, other competitive games where there's like, oh, this character is when I play against them, they seem so awesome and formidable, and then when I, when I try playing them, I feel like yeah, it's like you have that. I'm like my hands are tied or something behind yeah. my back. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm, I don't know how to make it them do what they do when so they well. Beat the shit out of how me. do I do you do when you do me? Yeah, like, exactly. I can't do that. So exactly. it's like that's an interesting. That's like a fighting game one on one thing where it's like. Oh, you're like your Ryu is amazing. When I do, I'm like I'm like, you know, messing up my Hadoukens and like <laughs> just like going for the easy. A lot of this, your strategy as a player has to match match um, the ability and mechanics of the character you choose. Yes, and it's not. Just are about, you a grappler? Yeah. Are you a exactly? Tractor? Are you a glass cannon? Are you? Yeah. It's like what are you trying to do with the character? Sometimes yeah. you're forcing a character to do something that is just not they're not designed for. Yeah, and like. Picking that is like half the battle of being good at a fighting game. Absolutely. I and I mean, thinking about it, just picking, you're picking characters, right? And so, as we were talking about, like, dis, uh, what is it? Injustice. I was going to say dishonored. Uh, injustice, dishonor, darkness. Similar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, injustice 2, where it's like really, you know, as we were discussing, it feels like it's more of a franchise play. It's about the characters and their stories and the narrative. You know, Arms, I think, is like completely on the other end. Like, the characters while they exude personality, are pretty much stories of their mechanics. Like, Mummy yeah. is a regenerating health giant tank. Yeah. You know, Twintel has, like, the ability to slow down time, and she's the only character whose hair mm-hmm. acts as her arms versus her arms. Yeah. You know, Ribbon Girl... Like, is, like, the Ribbon Girl and uh, Spring Man are, like, the Ryu and Ken of the game. They're, like, the standard characters yes. in their physicality. The white people. Are, <laughs> the white folks, yeah, exactly. So you have all these, like, essentially... In, in the arms case characters in service of mechanics yeah. whereas it's flipped in Injustice where it's definitely yeah. the mechanics in service to the characters in the story that's true so yeah. I, I don't know and I, I feel as though personally um, as beautiful uh, as the facial animations are in Injustice as crazy cool as those super move cutscenes are in Injustice I do think that arms actually lends itself potentially uh, the visual uh, presentation of arms I think actually present a, a sort of is formed better for tournament play I think that arms might actually have a future in an Evo Mm -hmm. more than an Injustice ever will Um, and and, and telegraphs really well short of um, short of competitive play I think arms if I was going to like play somebody was like play a fighting game right now I'd prefer to play that in the local head to head I think we had more fun playing that than Injustice we did because it is like um, it is interesting when you you talk about the mechanics of that because there are a lot there's a lot less verbs and it's a lot clearer what you're doing because exactly. it's just like the punches and Injustice a lot of it's like remembering what that particular it's like a nuance on something that it's a nuance on a wider language that all the characters speak like they all have the same general ability which yeah. is kind of punch you have the uppercut the, lo- the sweep kick, sweep leg you can like do, wind up for a big punch but then they have their their combos are a little bit different. Oh yeah, their specials are a little like bit different. Out. And but it but not in a way that's like for me like it's it makes it just frustrating because you have to memorize how they branch. Whereas like with arms, um, I think it's a lot more automatic how you when you're picking up the different characters. Like you know, um, the the mechanics are the same, but they're also like 
much more tied to the actual arms you're using, and the characters are a lot more like about speed and ability, and like some of their special abilities are different, but they're more clear what they are. Yes. Whereas, like, whereas like other characters are like, we're just gonna change the way the combo works. It's like for for me, almost like with Injustice Two, I don't really know why the combos are different for all the characters. That's a good point because like there's no reason. No, there's no besides just them being different characters. Yeah. And you're just like, just give them the same combos because otherwise, like, you're basically not, like you're, you're limiting me to what characters I can play because I have to memorize their combos. Yeah. Whereas arms, like, I know that Mummy has the skill where he'll heal if he blocks, and Toothdog can float, and Ribbon Girl can quad jump. So like, these it's just like one thing to remember. Yeah. And it makes it like a lot more fun to experiment with like the characters. I yeah, think. I totally yeah. love the way you put it because it's like just just in the same fact that all of the characters and arms can unlock all of the arms. The arms, as the title suggests, yeah. are the real star of the show, mm. and the characters are really like the arms and the variety of arms are the rock paper scissor Klingon raygun of yeah. the game. Like there's yeah. like five to six like classes of arms, mm-hmm. and they all have a relationship and a balanced power circle. Yeah, like a rock paper scissors. But the characters are not. The characters are not meant to be balanced. The characters simply add an additional super special like, ability, yeah. like the quad jump, time slow, yeah. healing. You know, and that alone, like you're saying, I love it. It's just like the little bit of extra X-factor chaos in a match that will really make it an infinitely deep, you know, game in any player's hands. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're Twintel with these two types of arms? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Like, amazing. And then, you know, against... But if you, like, switch your arms mid-match, I could just totally lose because, like, my previous strategy will just fall flat, which is fun because that, that kind of gets more into almost, like, League of Legends, where it's like, um, there's like strict counters to yes. like things where you're just like, oh, that counters my move. I can't just win through brute force and through timing. That's when the strategy comes into yeah, it. Totally. So it's that those two factors have to be present for a fighting game to succeed, I think. Yeah. And arms, and I mean, injustice to some extent, but I think arms more so, like embraces that, those dual factors of a fighting game. Totally. But I think there's kind of, at least for me, a bit of an elephant in the room mm. uh, when we talk about fighting games. Because, you know, we talk about mechanics, we talk about franchise, we talk about story, we talk about all sorts of different things. But one interesting thing that we've great, we've touched upon it from a number of different angles, but we haven't really sort of locked horns with it and talked about it directly, which is violence. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Fighting games are about violence. They're, yes. they're predominantly games about beating the fuck out of each other. Yeah. Right? And, you know, arms, you can do it in a really cartoonish way that eschews death. I mean, even in Injustice... For a NetherRealms game, no one really dies. They take a knee, Mm -hmm. even after they've been stabbed, (laughs) shot, thrown into space, and then chased back down from space by a Batwing shooting missiles and a Gatling gun at Mm -hmm. you. But violence. Violence is a constant theme. And, you know, going all all the way almost full circle back to the anecdote that I started with, it's like, yo, I got my real face beat up, Mm -hmm. really, because I virtually beat up the face of a real person beside me. You know, and this was at a time, you know, when we were both teenagers and even younger, like this was a really crazy time. And I think in context, it was also a time where there was a bunch of violence going on around us. Uh, and it's a violence that still continues to this day. And I know you're writing something now or you were working mm. on a written piece uh, that I think deals with some of those themes of violence. A little bit. Yeah. I, well, we had talked also when we were both growing up in New York, you know, that was kind of the, I think, in my memory, the first, um, my first engagement with police brutality, protest against police brutality. Yep. Um, you know, right after you got beat up, we went down, had 
went to the protests. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like uh, protests against Giuliani, against yeah. the um, police force. Uh, These are like the wear black, the all black uh, end of the 90s, early aughts uh, protests that were happening around yeah, New York City. You know, Actually, all the Northeast. It was happening all over the Northeast. Sure, East. absolutely. It was like, I'm going to do Diallo. Yeah. I'm going to do Diallo, like who was murdered. Um, just like a lot of uh, cases where the police overacted and were overzealous in their murderous abuse rap, of power. Abuse, abuse, abuse of power, absolutely. Abuse of power. And um, I feel like that almost, that was, it was almost like a backdrop of, of, the, of our history of fighting games too or just like going to arcades but also like being aware of this this aspect of of, of New York history yeah because I think arcades were New York history but also our engagement with the police oh, Chinatown Fair right the like sure. semi-illegal arcade where like fighting game culture at least in New York was like sharpened like a knife like you went to Chinatown Fair to like like yeah. prove your worth there's actually a great documentary about Chinatown Fair we should totally recommend in the, oh yeah yeah the put, put in there yeah um, um, but yeah, that, but yeah this so, is all happening in a real world of real violence but at the same time I think Injustice 2 kind of in I think in accordance with its lore and its narrative of bit borrowing from DC and like those characters you get a little bit of that um, I think the moral um, quality of it is muddied and, and like dubious in mm. some ways essentially like for the way I saw like the, at least the story of Injustice 2 was and 1 to some extent I mean though I didn't play it I read a little bit about how you have to like kind of be aware of it because yeah, it sets to. up I so did, much of yeah, what I like watched Justice most of the cutscenes from Injustice yeah, it's 1 about. and um, you know the, there's obviously the main villain Brainiac which is a fucking terrible name for a villain <laughs> it's hilarious um is like the kind of ex- existential threat of the game, but I think the main crux of the conflict is between Batman and Superman. Yes, because and then the game sets it up that way as well, where like even though you beat Brainiac, you still have to fight each other at the end of the game because there's this conflict where Superman, because of basically his wife getting fridged, yeah, decides they fridged, they <laughs> yeah, fridged fucking very fridged, yeah, um, as comics tend to do decides he needs to kill all criminals and dangerous criminals because they better, it's better off that way. Society's better off that way. And then Batman has his famous no-killing rule that he adheres to. So he's, like, very stubborn about it and not going to change it. Oh, but Batman's cool with terrorism. Oh, yeah. Cool with terrorism, cool with surveillance. Torture. Tapes, cool with torture. The Psychological, over, physical, and otherwise. Over-policing. Yeah. Mass incarceration. Yeah. So oh, yeah, it's totally yeah. mass incarceration. <laughs> I mean, like, that's uh, basically kind of what I ended up writing about, which is that um, there's this... I think hypocrisy with it with the way Batman functions as a hero, but it's also built into comics and um, and video games as uh, and media in general as this like setup where you just there's a good guys and bad guys. Yeah, the right? way of the gun thing, um, and the, and and this and it kind of bleeds into American society where we have law and order, yeah. and the idea of law and order that Trump pushes and a lot of police unions is definitely code of racism and it's kind of establishing the status quo and, and protecting the status quo which tends to be one that favors white people yeah. over um, minorities poor people anyone in the inner cities like these are people who kind of face the brunt of it and a lot of that came out in the war, war on drugs where uh, it basically quintupled the prison population Absolutely. of America for incredibly like minor offenses such as like having marijuana on you like yeah. a few grams you go to jail for years. Third strike, you're out. Different Rockefeller things. laws, yeah, here in New York law, State, drug laws, drug laws. Yep, yeah, exactly. And even and like I, I drew a lot of comparisons actually with Bill Clinton because yeah. um, Bill Clinton was a president that I feel like a lot of people are still 
remember fondly. Yeah, deify him and shit. Yeah, and he's like the first black president, as some people, some I mean, other people of the black community have <laughs> Super predator. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So like, um, like even like there's this. It's it's interesting the way the um, the ideology of law and order affects both arms of the of the government, or both uh, sides, left and right. Yeah, totally. So that um, I think basically Democrats had to realize in the '90s that it was they had to um, play the same game as the Republicans. So they basically were like, cool, law and order is great. Like, you know, lock up drug offenders. And um, they're mainly supportive of the death penalty. I mean, basically Clinton during his campaign yeah. went and like made sure the death penalty of a mentally retarded person exactly. was well, carried through. Can be carried out. Even yeah, though exactly. everybody, all his colleagues were like, don't do this. Like this person does not have the capacity no. to have committed this crime. I mean, that's literally why the defense of insanity was made up. But he's like, you know what, this is going to look good for my image. And it was. And it helped him get elected as a president. So, like, it's like this, um, I think it's like an infection of the, con- of the country. I think where, so, like, too, yeah. And it's, I, think I think infection it, is the right word. And I think it's, um, it's balanced, it's reflected and supported by our media. Like, Absolutely. you know, we have Law and Order, the show. We have all these cop dramas that pre- present crime as cops seeking out the bad guy looking into clues yep. and then solving it whereas in the reality so many crimes are um, don't happen the way they do in comics right no, like certainly. Uh, the police will find somebody nab him throw a bunch of charges at him because of stuff like drug laws plant and evidence they meet, have, to meet their quota yeah and, and even if they don't have evidence the, the person tends to plead guilty because the uh, the alternative is lengthy jail time. Yeah. So they're like, you can either plead guilty and maybe get a year and a little fine, or you can go to jail for 20 years. Yeah. So obviously these people are going to plead guilty. Like that was a major case with like Khalif Browder. Yes. You know, he was like held in Rikers for uh, three years almost because um, he was accused of stealing a backpack that he was like, adamant he didn't do. But because of the, who knows, like a backlog of the, of the justice system and any number of excuses, people just not giving a shit about him. Not, yeah, he was exactly. kept in Rikers for three years without being um, having his time in court, and ultimately he killed himself yeah. as a result. So these are, this is like the reality of law, and also the fact that the death penalty is meted out to black defendants more than white defendants. Yes. And, and we look at the crippling effect that a prison sentence has upon you, even if you yeah. were to make it out of prison. Exactly. There are deep psychological and social changes that can happen. The parole system is a weighted system, and by weighted, I mean the house always wins in the very vaguest sense. Like, you are given impossible... Like, uh, when you do a study into the debt that you get into by being a prisoner, when you're supposed to be essentially a ward of the state, mm-hmm. it's hilarious. I mean, yeah. hilarious in the most tragic comic way. Like, sure. you are leaving with twenty dollars to $30,000 worth of debt when you were already essentially forcibly uh, put into labor conditions for the prison industrial complex. Like, you leave with debt. Mm. You leave with impossible parole conditions in many states. In many states, not every state, but in many states. Um, You're not allowed to leave the state. Yeah, you can't vote. You've put the... If if the uh, criminal or the person who was put into jail, even if they weren't a criminal, you've put their entire family in jeopardy. Mm. Like, let's say if they were a breadwinner or even a partial breadwinner for that family... That's generations of disservice because we know that like families that are put into these situations have a harder time getting out of that sort of debt tunnel uh, and that and that entire system. So it's not just terrible on the way in yeah. and terrible on the inside. It's also an impossible game once you're out. You know, yeah, absolutely. It kind of creates recidivism. Yeah, it creates a second class of a citizen. Exactly. 
And so this is the kind of like um, I think the ideology that people like Batman in his in, in his like comic history are I think engender and yes. um, encompass. Like so it's and normalized. And normalized, absolutely. It's like uh, for Batman it's like we're supposed to be happy that he throws people in prison. Um, we're supposed to be rooting for a fucking sociologist. Not so, sociopath. Sociologist. <laughs> a sociopath. It's probably like an armchair sociologist. He's like, well, let me tell you about my, <laughs> my belief on all criminals. No, but like, really, when you think yeah. about it, right? Yeah. That's what makes Joker and Batman such a compelling relationship. It's yeah. like Batman, if he had just decided any different approach to his brand of psycho-vigilante justice, he would have been the Joker. Yeah. He's just as much a sociopath yeah. as the Joker, but he's a billionaire. Yeah. And a playboy, and he has some cool gadgets. And that's the interesting thing, too, because, I mean, there's been a lot of um, documentary information about the police um, over-militarization yes. that's happened over the past few decades. Now, it's kickstarted by the war on drugs because that they gave them a lot of funding to get giant military vehicles yeah. to do drug busts, no-knock drug busts, where they kind of go into a neighborhood, basically tear a house down. The person has to pay for it all if they have, like, a few grams of weed on them. Yeah. Um, or documented reports that, you yeah. know, the, the what is it, the Dakota Access Pipeline, yeah. uh, the people, that, the, the cops that showed up to basically start to round out in the National Guard, they were using those, like, future sound cannon shit. Like, 200 yeah. yards right. away, they'd point a satellite dish at an entire camp, and literally people would just start screaming because, like, yeah. they were, their ears were on fire. Yeah. It's subsonic. So you can't cover your ears. Yeah. You just—it makes you insane, basically. But you know, because this is non-lethal, it's fine. And yeah. like that's like kind of the this like weird calculus behind it, where it's like, you know, it, the amount of violence that Batman's able to commit under the umbrella of non-violence, or at least non-mortal violence, is like the way the police state functions. Because Damn. it's like you're able to like. Um, I mean, just because the power isn't as boastful and overt as Superman's is, doesn't mean Batman doesn't seek the exact same amount of power. Right? Or just because the violence isn't, isn't yeah. as explicit as literally throwing someone into yeah. the sun. Sure. You know, <laughs> branding someone yeah. and throwing them in the dark, dank pit of Rikers. I mean, Gotham. Uh, what is it? <laughs> Arkham. Arkham. Yeah, Arkham. Yeah. Like, yeah. that shit is yeah. a torture chamber. Absolutely. Where yeah. people don't get reformed. No. They get shit on, chained yeah. up, and made crazier. Yeah. And so, you know, at what point... What is the... <laughs> oh, man, this is problematic, maybe. But, like, do we value life too much? Because is it under the basic egoism of preservation of life that we allow all of these other terrible abuses? Right? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the question. That's the question. I'm, I'm not, no, like, I agree, advocating I for murder. I'm not. <laughs> but I'm saying hypothetically. No, I mean, I think it's, like, that's kind of the crux of it, and part of it is that not necessarily we value life too much but that we treat criminality in the way it's treated in comics like where there are good guys and bad guys and that the, everybody seems to be punched into shape yeah. um, you know like there's there's no real brainiac in the real world like that's not how it works like you it's don't true. have existential crises where you just have to punch somebody like you know like the, the question of brainiac where Batman versus Superman. Like, don't kill him. Superman, like, kill him. It's like it's such a academic question and In not a perfect hypothetical. Perfect hypothetical that doesn't exist. Like we, for the most part, that's not something that we're dealing with in the in our day to day law and order existence. Like no. that's so like basically to like kind of for, put that question as the forefront of like what um of the moral um I think 
calculations that we should be making as players is disingenuous yes. to like how it actually works. I think so too. So it kind of makes the the I think like to adhere too close to closely to comics is like to already damn yourself to like yeah. a, a unjust system of policing because you're basically treating criminals as super villains. Yeah. And that's like not I mean like literally Hillary Clinton calling them super predators. Super predators, yeah. Is like a very marketable and easy and rolls of the tongue term to sign off a whole section of our population automatically. You know, it's like it wasn't Injustice Two, but Arkham City, all those games where they just fill it up with criminals, so you yeah. can punch them all. Yeah, it doesn't matter because they're all criminals. They're all criminals, and it's like that's like the video game calculus that then reinforces, like um, I think real life policing calculus, where they're just like they've done with these communities that they don't feel part of, and it's kind of like a war on those communities versus policing as a form of community um, safety. I it's, yeah. totally agree, and I think it weirdly enough ties back to that one of those original points I was making of like fighting games being the most human genre, mm-hmm. because I think it's a very human thing to want to simplify and understand things, mm-hmm. to make things plain and easy. Mm-hmm. You know, with no offense to any of our listeners or anybody, like as an atheist, it's why I think most people have created the construct of God to like help them get to sleep at night and understand that they'll never really understand why they're here or what the fuck their purpose is. So I give it like a, a clapboard front. I call it a god, and I say, okay, I'm here because of this, and I'm doing this is easy. This is easy. I can sleep at night again. I'm a good sure. person. Oh, phew, right? But in that same way, the law and orderness of it, the, 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 and I'm pulling quotes on law and order, the like, concept of law and order and the most disgusting Trump delivery of it, mm-hmm. it's a simplification to garner hearts and minds to basically, again, paste over some of the most complicated and enduring problems of being a basic human Mm -hmm. which is you're not always going to get what you want and someone else is going to have it and they're going to be like too weak to protect it so are you going to like violate the moral center of your own self Mm -hmm. if you strike that person you are essentially striking yourself and i don't mean this with bible i mean this with like commonality of genetic code like when you choose to violate someone's safety with violence you've essentially opened up your entire reality to that as a mode and we've done this we do this a lot of times sure. we shoot at each other we punch each other on very the street very essential to our essential to being human to being human I think I mean it's like the like Handmaid's Tale has that I think halfway through the season they had a really great line where he's just like what's good for what's good doesn't mean good for everybody right you know and that's like literally how these um, ideologues structure the language where it's like the other law and order you know like um keeping these bad bad dudes out like we're talking about what's good but we're we're like making sure to erase the people who are not benefiting from this program either by putting them in prison keeping them as second class citizens citizens on a parole program that you know delegitimizes their 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 standing as a as a citizen of this of the united states um, so it's really about um, pushing that part of society that you don't like away from you and down so that you can kind of live the life that you picture as exactly. as ideal. Yeah. And um, I think I think part of being progressive is is stepping back from that and trying to think of somebody besides yourself for a change. And maybe set the bar higher, right? Like sure. understanding that the preservation of life is a really important concept and a really important value but that we may have needed to evolve to other more subtle values that, of course, as a bottom line, we don't want to kill anybody, but there may be more important, subtler, intelligent values above that 
that could eventually erode the need for the loss of life in the first place. I know this is a little bit, I got lost in the weeds there. No, I think that's, I mean, that's what I'm going for, I think, in writing this piece, basically talking about, like, how the question about of the death penalty is flawed because you're not questioning mass incarceration. No, exactly. So you're basically saying, mass incarceration is fine, but death penalty, you know, let's not kill people, let's put them in prison for the rest of their lives, or take away the right to vote, yeah. or overcharge them for phone calls, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera, like, you know... We're still subjugating people. We're just not taking that last piece of their life from them. But isn't it just as shitty to like block them up, even if maybe if they were like uh, or charge them incorrectly, or like force them to go through this like system of of uh, being incarcerated while you're waiting for a trial? Like, yeah. isn't that stealing their life from them? It like, is in and, another and way. To answer a hyperbolic with a hyperbolic, I mean, many superheroes and villains have already agreed that there are things worse than death. Yes. You know, like torture, <laughs> like richer. Like any of these other things, yeah. like if we've understood that with the same simple mind that creates comic book heroes and villains, then we need to be able to move beyond it as a society. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a heavy ass note, man. But I think we've covered, we've blown our hour. But yo, that was it was a good one, man. Yeah, so, I, I wanted to get everything in there. Yeah, yeah. So everyone, thanks as always for uh, tuning in. Thank you uh, at Old School Brian on Twitter. At Old School Brian for our awesome theme music. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Yeah!